your head out of the clouds Get your feet back on the ground Get stuck into pop culture We'd stick around Hello there and welcome to Stick Around The podcast that shouldn't be taken off iTunes Because if it was, you'd all be a lot poorer Intellectually Brought to you by Overton Windows, a company on the move to the right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, see, you would be a lot intellectually poorer if you weren't for us. You don't get that kind of material on fucking the Adam Buxton show, do you? I bet loads of you are Googling what's the Overton window right now, aren't you? And you've probably learnt something. I imagine there is actually a windows and doors firm in, like, Rotherham called Overton Windows. It's just Barry Overton, and he has no idea what he's done. I hope hope there is. (laughs) He's moved to the right, that's what he's done. The shit. Yeah, I think Barry Overton voted for Brexit because he wanted £350 for the UK, and he wanted to take the power back, but he's regretting it now. Because he can't sell windows to... Germans anymore. Yeah, he's been buying all his PVC from Croatia and he's not going to be able to get the same rates now. <laughs> he's going to have to buy it from England where there isn't any. So fuck, really. Anyway, um, you're here for Stick Around Films episode, I don't know, maybe about 29, 30, something like that. It is um, 35, I believe. 35, oh, right, yes. Yeah. Well off, well off. Um, I'm Alex Wayne, your host for today. I'm here with Fellow music, uh, no, film experts, uh, Michael Johnson. And music, to be fair. <laughs> well, if you don't say so yourself. <laughs> and, and also film expert, Clive Fisher. Hey, hey, everyone. Um, yeah, we've got quite a big one today, actually, because it's been, it's been a while since our last film podcast. Certainly, I've seen about seven or eight films new in the cinema, and there's been a fair few others that have been uh, viewed since... Clive, how many films have you seen since we last talked? Um, well, I haven't really kept count, but I imagine it's the same amount because in the holidays I generally catch up on the stuff that I've missed in the cinema, so I tend to watch lots of like indie and foreign films and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. So I've been basically doing that, but I think I've probably seen seven or eight, yeah, which has been really good. So I, wa- I watch them at home, but um, yeah, it's been really good. All stuff from this year, just trying to catch up to watch as much as I can mm-hmm. of the stuff that I'm interested in, because there's so, there's so much good stuff. Well, I'm like, oh, oh that is, sounds yeah. interesting, and then I miss it because it's only on for like a week or something. <laughs> How about you, Michael? Um, seen a handful of recent releases, um, and I'll briefly mention an oldie that I saw, and also one from last year that was uh, in our top five of the year, but that I hadn't seen at the time. Right, excellent. Uh, yeah. Right, well, well, let's get kicked, kicked off. By the way, um, both of us, me and Michael, are both in Eagles Cliff today. Give us a noise. <laughs> <laughs> um, Way ahead of you. I actually had to dart from my car when I got here. I was being attacked by a couple of baldies. I had to uh, get inside the house. Obviously, they, they know okay. that I'm not a res- resident. Bald eagles, to clarify. <laughs> yeah, I thought you were just getting attacked by some, uh, Skidheads. A, a couple of bald men. <laughs> eagle, eagle slash sounds like a nightmare. Is it just like EastEnders? Loads of film actors running around. I read a good tweet. Outsiders. I read a great tweet about um, EastEnders this week, and uh, it said, "Have the people from EastEnders realised that they can work anywhere in London because of the tube system? And have they also realised that even their smallest house is worth at least seven hundred grand yet? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> Piercing the reality." <laughs> 
<laughs> anyway, um, let's start in Eagles Cliff. Uh, not with me though. Let's start with Michael Johnson. Kaka! Thank you. There's going to be a lot of that noise. Well, um, <clears throat> interestingly enough, I, I got up this morning and a, a bird with what appears to be the runs has gone acker all over my back pavings. So that may well have been an eagle. It must have been. It must yeah. have been. <laughs> yeah, I don't appreciate it, to be honest. But uh, moving swiftly on to um first film I'm going to talk about, um, which we've just seen, is uh, the new Spike Lee film, Black Klansman. Uh, I've only actually seen one of the Spike Lee film, which was uh, the, in my opinion, quite underrated Inside Man from 2006. Uh, I think this has been his best performing film at the box office since, and some people have hailed it as a return to form. Uh, follows. It's based on a true story from the 1970s in which uh, Ron Stallworth, the first black uh, policeman in the Colorado Springs Police Department in Colorado, um, goes undercover... Um, in the Ku Klux Klan. Uh, sounds a bit unusual, obviously. Uh, the way it's done is basically he um, he portrays um, the undercover agent on the phone while a white colleague of his, played by uh, Adam Driver in the film, uh, meets with the KKK in person. Uh, Stallworth's played by John David Washington, uh, son of Denzel. The film also stars uh, Laura Harrier. This is, uh, I mean, this is quite, an, it's a very, I would say, the presentation of the film is very uh, interesting. I thought it was very well acted throughout, uh, very entertaining. I think that's a quality that you often see people mentioning about Spike Lee's films. There's a lot, a lot of uh, humour here. Some of it uncomfortable, but definite, definite humour. And the script is very zippy, uh, similar to Inside Man, actually. I have to say, some of the um, some of the presentation of the film. I mean, the film. I think you could say, even though it's uh, set in the seventies, it could be easily set in the current political climate, uh, social climate. Um, and so I think some people have mentioned that some of the parts of the film that tie into that are quite on the nose a little bit, which I would agree they are. But I don't think it's a bad thing because I think they need to be on the nose really to get the message across. Um, I won't spoil it, but especially the uh, the way this film ends really uh, specifically ties it into the present quite a lot. There's, I've got to say most of the, um, the the sharpest criticism of the film that I've seen has come from uh, Boots Riley, who has just made his directorial debut with his debut film um, Sorry to Bother You in the US. He struggled to get a European distribution deal for the film so far because, well, he said that he was told that European audiences aren't really interested in American racial issues, which I think is absolute nonsense. Uh, Riley's a former member of the hip-hop group The Coup, uh, who typically come up issues of race in America from a communist perspective. And he had some very barbed criticisms of this film uh, for portraying cops as the good guys, basically. I think, I don't agree really agree with the criticism because I felt like the way the film progresses, Lee actually vocalised a lot of, the, um, of that dialogue around whether or not um, the police are useful in the struggle for racial equality in the film. So I think it is addressed quite a lot in this film. And, uh, I mean... I do agree that the police are an institutionally racist um, you know, body. We've seen that in this country with the Met Police being called exactly that. Um, but I think the, the bigger issue is that America's racist rather than the, just the police itself. Uh, so, th- I mean, obviously this is a very really interesting topical film. There's been loads of films in this vein uh, this decade. Uh, but I actually think this handles it um, very evenly. It has the right sort of message. It's entertaining. I definitely thought it was a really good film. Yeah, I, I see it, saw it as well, um, but the same showing as Michael. Um, 
pretty much completely agree. What I find funny about what you were saying earlier about uh, Boots Riley struggling to get a European distributor is, I think I mentioned to the, this to you yesterday, it feels like they're, they're saying to him, look, we've got the one black film, we don't need another one. It's like, uh, you know, if Get Out had beaten them both to it, maybe this wouldn't have had a deal. Um, but no, I thought this was excellent in general. Uh, there's one scene that I'm going to marginally spoil, but I think sums up the uncomfortable humour you talk about. Mm. Uh, one of the <coughs> KKK members is in bed with his wife, and they've got some kind of what I would call Dawson's Creek background music on, kind of singer-songwriter soft music, and they're yeah. talking lovingly about how they've always dreamt about killing, um, you know, I'm not going to say the word, uh, black people, basically. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's so absurd. I wanted to have a cackle in the <clears> cinema, but feared that it would be misinterpreted as me being racist <laughs> when I'm just laughing at the absolute genius of the filmmaking. Um, there was, can I just mention a similar thing, actually? Yeah. Um, there's a scene uh, towards the end of the film where it's two scenes juxtaposed quite brilliantly by Spike Lee where... Um, there's a speech about black power juxtaposed with a speech about white power yes. and the white power scene uh, the KKK are watching the um, the film Birth of a Nation um, which is a film that's always been tied to the KKK and the same character the wife of one of the members uh, when some uh, white women in the film uh, escape from some black people down a secret passageway or something just shouts out the ingenuity of white women I just, <laughs> just found that hilarious <laughs> But it's yeah, it's that sort of uh, it's uncomfortable humour, but it is it is just yeah. absurd. Yeah, I mean, I, I, just like you, I've, I'm I haven't really seen that much Spike Lee. Like I haven't seen his classic film do the right thing. Something I would I feel like I should really see. I should have seen before this, but I should definitely see it now. Um, I think it's got mainly good reviews, uh, some middling ones, but I'm 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 a big fan of this. Um, yes, it's on the nose at times, but I don't necessarily have a problem with that. It was entertaining throughout, um, hilarious at times, but also disturbing at others. Um, and it felt like in kind of making David Duke, the, the Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan, into a desk-bound uber-nerd, it kind of put him in his place without being... You know, they could have just made him a thro- frothing-at-the-mouth, kind of like virulently hideous racist, which he is, but when you portray him like that, you do give him some power. So making him this little dweeb was excellent. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you have any interest in this, Clive? Um, yeah, yeah. I really want to see this. I haven't got around to it yet, but you've made it sound even more excellent, so uh, definitely need to check it out. I mean, from from what I understand, <coughs> largely what Michael said, actually, um, the plot isn't entirely true. Um, parts of it are, parts of it aren't. That was another mm-hmm. criticism from Riley, actually. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm quite... I'm, Depend. It depends, obviously, on the context, but generally, I'm relaxed about history being fictionalised a little bit, um, depending on what the you know what the message that you're trying to get across is. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Like apparently, one of the what uh, Adam Driver's character in the film is Jewish, or at least you know from Jewish origins, which apparently wasn't true about the real character. Yeah. Um, but you know that's it's neither here neither here nor there really. Interestingly enough, the real Ron Stallworth, who wrote the book that this is based on wanted originally Denzel Washington to portray him, but that was when it was being discussed about 20 years ago. Apparently, you know, it's, apparently he was quite delighted that his son got cast in the end if it couldn't be That's cool, Denzel. That. Yeah. I know that. I've got to say I am uh, actually more excited about Riley's film, 
sorry to bother you, it looks mm. extremely singular from what I've read about it. Mm. Uh, I'm really looking forward to see it. So these are only being compared because they've come out at the same time, obviously. Uh, and obviously Riley, with his comments, has been sucked into that whole thing. Mm. I think Spike Lee did respond, but I'm not entirely sure what he said. Uh, but as on its own, as a standalone, I thought this was a, an enjoyable and really pretty good film. Yeah, I mean, it, it's almost hard to characterise uh, which genre it falls into because there's definitely strong elements of black black exploitation. Um, the strong elements of kind of almost like the body cop movie to an extent. Mm-hmm, yeah, and the farce. But um, yeah, I just thought it was a really good bit of filmmaking. Um, I know Spike Lee need, kind of needed a return to form. I think. Um, yeah, especially after. I mean, I, di- I didn't watch it, but the the old boy adaptation yeah, looked just, horrendous. Yeah, I'm just against that. And didn't principle. need to be made. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, just for one example, anyway. Okay, uh, we'll move on, and uh, I've got a question for you, Alex. Oh, go on, go on. Have you seen the new Purge film? The first Purge? No, the new one. Budum. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yes, Way. I have, Michael. Interestingly enough, and that's the film I'm going to talk about next. Um, the first purge. Oh, what a coincidence! Is... <laughs> the first purge is confusingly enough the fourth instalment in the purge franchise. Um... Uh, what? <laughs> yeah, Clive can't cope with that. Uh, the first not to be directed by uh, the series creator James uh, DeMonaco. Oh, so uh, that's anybody... what they meant. They just uh, shortened. They shortened the title, didn't they? It was supposed to be the first purge, not directed by. <laughs> such and such. But the guys that um, whoever's in charge were like, uh, "Too long, mate." First purge last <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Anyone who's listened to this pod will know that I am pretty much a guilty pleasure fan of the purge film series, largely because I love the idea of them, not necessarily the execution. So I kind of forgive them uh, a lot. Um, I genuinely thought that the first Purge was a good B-movie. The other two, since then, not so great. Um, This one picks up as a prequel to kind of explain how something like the Purge would set up. It's almost unnecessary when you actually see the political climate in America right now. You could imagine Donald Trump actually going for this. (laughs) Um, It's directed this time by Gerard Gerard McMurray. Uh, It stars a largely unknown cast... Uh, Yolan Noel, Lex Scott Davis, Yovian Wade, and Steve ha- Harris. Uh, I wasn't particularly familiar with any of them, but that made no difference whatsoever. Um, it's set about the first experiment for the Purge. So the new founding fathers of America have taken over government, and uh, they've decided to run the first Purge as a soci- uh, sociological experiment in Staten Island. Nobody has to take part. They can leave the area for those 12 hours, but if they do take part, they're given $5,000, then they're incentivized to actually get violent. So for each kill they get, for instance, or any actual violence or crime, they, their money will go up. Um, the film largely centers on a black rights activist who, it's a largely black area, by the way, who uh, decides to uh, protest against this, and a gangster who decides that uh, he wants to defend his turf, who he thinks when people will move in. On the time, um, this is largely um, kind of a racial perspective on the purge, which is something that's been missing from the other films. Uh, the other films just kind of like body horror, kind of like thriller horror films, um, and it's quite interesting actually. I would say that um, this this one has a more tinged political message that seems more relevant to um, the time being. It certainly, does address racial concerns that were totally missed from the first first three films. 
largely it still feel still falls a lot short. You still feel that this is a movie that could have been a lot better, maybe in the hands of um, just a, a better filmmaker, really. Um, have have, have either of you seen any of the Purge films at all? No, they just don't look appealing. Okay. Clive, have you seen any of them? Um, no, no, I've not, Al. I've always kind of wanted to. Which which one would you recommend as a kind of entry point? <laughs> <laughs> or just, or just as, as the one to watch? Um, well, it's hard to, to to say between the first Purge film and the first Purge. <laughs> right, well, you're confusing the hell out of me right now. What's uh, the first Purge film called? Just um, Purge. The, the Purge. The Purge. <laughs> oh, right, Jesus, okay. Um, um, anyway, I, I would say this one is probably, in all likelihood, it's probably the, the best one since the first one. It's okay. a solid... <laughs> Wow, it's I didn't even mean that one. Um, it's, it's a solid B movie schlocker with um, right. you know good political overtones and slightly nail nail on the head, slightly in your face at times. Um, there's one scene where one of the main characters is being assaulted by somebody who literally grabs her crotch. Uh, she kicks him and she calls him a pussy grabbing motherfucker. Uh, which is, you know, a nod to somebody, or more, less a nod, more of a vigorous head shake. Um, <laughs> but it's kind of good fun. It's, um, as I said, it's interesting that they've taken the racial perspective, which, or it, not so much racial, I suppose, is more class perspective, which are often intertwined, obviously. Um, the Purge is seen from the political perspective of the Founding Fathers as a way of literally purging the poor, so that they have less of a welfare bill. And naturally, in America, that comes down to a racial border. And, um, I mean, there's a scene in it where Marissa Tomai, who is probably the only famous name in it, uh, she's the sociologist who comes up with the experiment, who is supposed to be a good character, goes, oh, my God, what have I done? You just think to yourself, "What? you didn't think this would happen. <laughs> what did you think was going to happen? <laughs> um... <laughs> Um, but I've got to be honest, I enjoyed it. Um, it's no classic film, and but I, I, I'm on board for a fifth Purge film. I just really hope that... Um, they I'm call it the to... prequel Purge. The prequel Purge, yeah. Um, purge 1.5. <laughs> I just... Um, I'm trying to think of a, of a director who will never get the gig who would like to have involved with this. Paul Thomas Anderson. Paul Tom- yeah, that would be interesting. <laughs> Actually, you know who would do a great Purge film? Probably has no interest, but Tarantino would Soderberg. do a great Purge film. Oh, yeah, yeah, I yeah, can see that. i tell you what, Alex has got the plot open here for, just to, to lean back on for notes, and uh, the first line's selling it to me. I've got to say, a crazed drug addict named Skeletor. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he is uh, one of the char- well, characters who is... Uh, Somewhat over the top in the film, you would say. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would like to see... Um, yeah, I would love to see a Tarantino Purge film. Yeah, I think he could do a good one. I can imagine that he could be persuaded if he was given absolute free reign. No, I don't know. I don't know about that. I don't know. I don't think there's a great deal... No, of no, no, not saying he, he wouldn't be good at it, just the persuaded... I don't know. I've, to me, there's not a big jump between Death Proof and a Purge film. I don't know. There is because it's made by Tarantino. Yeah. 
Well, I'd love to see it anyway. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, enough puns. Let's go to Sheffield again. He's been waiting very patiently. Clive, what have you got for us? <laughs> right. Well, like I said, I've watched loads of um, indie stuff that I kind of haven't um, that I kind of missed in the cinema. So I'm going to talk about my two favourites. Um, the first one of which is a film called Lean on Pete, which is a film written and directed by Andrew Hager. Um, and starring Charlie Plummer, Amy Simetz, Travis Fimmel, Steve Buscemi, and then it turns into a load of people I've not heard of, so we'll leave it there. It's essentially Charlie plays a kid um, at home with a, a single dad who, at some, I think it's like, it's it's not really mentioned, but it's, it feels like it's his summer holidays or something, he's not going to school, he's, uh, you know, lying in, not really doing a lot, and then at some point he stumbles across a job um, looking after a racehorse with with the racehorse trainer Dell um who's played by Steve Steve Buscemi excellently named and he you know gets um gets really friend with the horse is called Lean on Pete hence the um the name of the film um he sort of learns how to look after this horse learns all the sort of what goes on with the racing and all that kind of stuff and finds out um that the horse is about to be slaughtered and then runs off with the horse on his own it's kind of he, as the film goes on, he kind of feels more and more alienated, which is kind of what leads to the um, to his escape. On the this isn't spoiling it really; it's all kind of in the blurb. The film moves at a very sort of um, natural pace. It's really, quite, I suppose you could call it slow. It's about two hours long, but I think that the pacing of it is kind of really captures, um, particularly the the loneliness of the main our protagonist, whose name I'm going to keep forgetting. Let me get it. Char- oh, okay. That's why it's confusing. Char- the main character is called Charlie, and he's played by Charlie Plummer. So uh, I kept thinking, no, <laughs> yeah, no name confusion. One thing less he had to worry about, I suppose. So that's good. Um, but yeah, in the, in the moments when he's kind of alone with his horse, and um, the kind of there's plenty of scenes of just him walking around um, on his own, and kind of really just portraying how how lonely he is in the world. And uh, I think that's really really effective. And I think slow pacing can. Be. I think it's often like seen as a negative, but I think it can be. I think I kind of like it to be honest. Um, it can definitely be a positive. Another thing I'd say, for example, is um, *Handmaid's Tale*, uh, which I'm currently watching and absolutely loving. Um, there's scenes in that which are just like extended to points where you like. You could say this is taking way too long, but that's the whole point. <laughs> it's a. Uh, it it has way more effect because of the fact you're in that scene for so long. Um, you're just kind of immersed in it. And that you know it's similar here. It's absolutely not like the Handmaid's Tale. It's nowhere near as uh, <laughs> as graphic or uh, upsetting. But it's um, it, it has effects for similar reasons. And um, performances are really really good. Charlie Plummer is excellent in the main role. He's got this kind of he does the opposite of chewing the scenery. I don't know what you'd call there, but he just kind of sits back. He gives a fantastic performance, really believable. But you're always kind of paying as much attention to as the other stuff in the shot as him, um, in a good way. Um, Steve Buscemi is great as this kind of kind of cheating in a way no good like horse trainer but in other ways he's got a he's, you know underneath all that he's got a kind of really good heart and he's, he seems like the kind of person you'd meet if you went down to one of these races and um, seems very real so i thought uh, steve buscemi did a really great job there one of his more normal characters i'd say or even if he is <laughs> still pretty eccentric um the the cinematography is absolutely gorgeous it's one of those I mean, when I read the blurb, I was like, right, this is my kind of film, because any film where someone just fucks off uh, (laughs) and leaves everything behind, I am down with. Uh, Into the Wild is one of my favourite films, and that is essentially what happens there. But 
um, the way that the kind of travel itself is captured is very different to Into the Wild. It's not as like in your face in terms of the music and stuff, but it's it captures because in this sense it's kind of a lot sadder. And um, I don't want to spoil things too much, but it's mm. you know the whole tone of the film is sadder. It's not like a whereas in Into the Wild he's like I want to be free of society, and it's kind of like a yoo-hoo, I'm out there and I'm doing what I want now kind of freedom. In this one, it's more forced. Um, upon him although he does make the decision to run off with the horse it feels much more forced and more of a you know a sad thing but the like i say the cinematography is absolutely fantastic the shots of him walking on the field there was a couple of times when i actually paused it which i pretty much never do and i was just like wow <laughs> that's awesome i just want to get that and put it on my wall please um when, and there's just that constantly throughout the film but not in the it kind of it's like that in the travelly bits where there isn't any talking and then in the when there is talking and you kind of want to be focused on that rather than the cinematography, it's a bit more straightforward. And I think that worked really, really well. It was never kind of just being really stylized for the hell of it, if you know what I mean. Because it is quite a natural, realistic film, I think, and it doesn't really lose that. Um, overall, it's a, it's a really humble film. It's a, a film that is um, interested in serving its story above all else. Um, it's a story about loneliness, um, inequality. And above all, I'd say the strength of the human spirit. It's a really, really stunning piece of cinema. And I don't want to spoil anything, but the I absolutely loved the ending. There's this a, fa- a fantastic cover of kind of an unexpected <laughs> song to be covered. Um, and it, it works brilliantly, I think. Um, really, really, really good. And I immediately looked it up and I've been listening to it a lot since. It's a perfect perfect ending i think and it's it isn't one of those i think a lot of indie films i was watching a film with my friend paul yesterday and he was, uh, we were watching thoroughbreds and he was like is this one of those films that's just gonna end <laughs> without <laughs> See, I really like um yeah i do I, I do as well yeah same but this, this doesn't do that but it does it well if you know what i mean um it, it, it was it was the kind of film that ex, that expected I expected that to happen and then it didn't and I was kind of like oh well you, actually that's a, you've it's a good ending <laughs> depends I can I can be a fan of both but what I quite like about endings that just end is I always think to myself what happens in their lives afterwards and if you've got something neat and tidy mm-hmm. it feels like there's almost too much closure sometimes so oh, yeah. a bit I, like um, the classic example is actually a TV show The Sopranos I like mm-hmm. the fact it ends with no real conclusion. Uh, which irritated the yeah. hell out of a lot of people. But um, to me, you know, their life continues when we're not watching. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think that's still a case in this, but it's a bit more... Maybe it, like, it closes out kind of its themes, but doesn't. you still don't really know what's going to happen afterwards. But, um, you know, it's it closes out the themes and what the, the film wants to do, and that, and that kind of has a an arc and closes off nicely and it was quite satisfying but um it was a film that i hadn't really heard of until i started as i do in the holidays kind of looked down lists of things that what the best films released in the uk are this year uh, and you know read the blurbs and stuff and i was like oh that sounds awesome so yeah i'd recommend it check it out it is out now you can you know rent it buy it do what you want <laughs> hmm. where did you rent it from by the way um, I think it was. I usually get stuff off um, you, whatever the Google one is, Play Movie. But yeah, but I don't know if 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 it isn't on there, I go elsewhere, like PlayStation or whatever. I was quite interested in seeing this. Um, it, I don't. I just don't think it made it into any cinemas near here. Um, no, I don't think it did here, or probably for a short time. An, I'm sure they're nothing alike, but I associate this film with another film I wanted to see called Leave No Trace. They did briefly make it on cinemas, but I missed it. Um, Looking forward to that. Yeah, I want to see that as well, but it's not out on um, streaming yet, I don't think. Bastards. I know. <laughs> but yeah, go and check this out. This will certainly be high up on my list um, at the end of the year, I imagine. Unless there's, you know, 
Cool. Let's watch some outstanding films. We'll see. It, it was already on my list, even more so now. Um, right, okay. Let's head back to Eagles Cliff. Noise, please. Kiki! <laughs> so wow, that was, a that was a delay. That was a build-up. Um, Sorry, yeah, I think we, I think we are operating on a bit of a delay. <laughs> no worries. Uh, Michael, what have you got for us now? Yeah, so I'm going to talk briefly about um, Hereditary, uh, a recent release which is part of, um, it's been acclaimed as part of uh, a sort of horror revival that's going on. I think you've seen more of the, the horror films, Alex, than I have that have considered part of it. This is uh, certainly a standout horror film that's just come out recently. Uh, not everyone agreed. I think audiences uh, rated it lower than uh, than critics did, but I was a fan of it. Uh, it's a new film from uh, Ari Aster. It uh, stars Tony Collette in the main role as um, a woman who some strange occurrences start happening to her family after the death of her mother. She's uh, excellent in it. I also thought uh, Gabriel Byrne as her husband was another standout performance in it. It's it's I would say most of the, it's got quite a long build up. This film it really bu- builds um, towards its ending very effectively. Uh, also stars Anne Dowd, from, uh, who uh, we've discussed plenty of times uh, on TV podcasts. Most people know her now as uh, Aunt Lydia from The Handmaid's Tale. Uh, she has an important role in this as well. It's, I would say it's, it leaves a lingering sort of chill, this film. It's not your, um, your typical jumpy horror, but some of the images that you're going to see towards the end of it are unforgettable. And uh, they will have you checking the corner of uh, rooms out of the corner of your eye in the weeks <laughs> after you've uh, after you've seen Definitely. it. You will be thinking about this film if once you've seen <laughs> it. I would say it stars one of the. I would say it features one of the most uh, the best the strongest um, casting of a creepy child that I've seen in quite a while. True. This character um, makes a noise throughout the film that. Uh, yeah, put it this way: you'll never be able to listen to uh, the beat to drop it like it's hot again. In the same way. <laughs> <laughs> but um, oh. I mean, the, yeah, it'll it will ruin Snoop Dogg for you a little bit. But um, the, I mean, I'm not going to go into much more depth because I don't really have anything much more complex to say. Uh, one critic did call it um, this generation's exorcist. I mean, you only have to watch the trailer to see some of the uh, the hyperbole really been heaped on this by critics. Uh, I don't agree with it in the sense that the Exorcist was a really game changing film. You know, as as. Uh, testified by the fact that it was banned in the UK for two decades. That's a really powerful testament to what that film had had to it. This is, uh, you know, I'm not, I don't think this breaks any conventions, but it is uh, it is interesting because it works so well. I'm sure Alex will comment. I think you felt that the ending was shoehorned in a little bit. I did, uh, yeah. But I'm, I'm, yeah, and I, I don't disagree with that entirely. I don't think it needed to be there, but uh, but it is. Um, yeah, it's it's a film that uh, without um, reinventing the genre or anything, it's just it's just a really good modern horror film. Yeah, I, I thought it was excellent, um, despite the fact that I thought literally the last maybe five minutes didn't need to be in it, didn't spoil it for me. I thought it was superbly directed. Um, like you said, the excruciating build-up of tension is almost unbearable. Um, without being jump out of your seat, scary at times, there was a, a feeling of palpable dread. Yeah. Um, throughout the entire thing, uh, just the direction is is masterful in my opinion by Ariasse. Hard to believe this is his first film. Um, there's a particular scene in it which I won't spoil, um, where it's showing you everything but the horror. It's it's showing the reaction and it's showing everything around it. It leaves the audience to kind of make guesses um, before a final payoff a few minutes later. 
and it's it's nerve shredding. Um, also, just to tie into that, one thing I should mention is this is a really well marketed film from the trailers and things because so again I can't go into the specifics, but something happens in it that makes you think, oh, that's surprising. Oh yeah, uh, massively so, yeah. So yeah, just uh, that's that's always good when a when a film manages to pull that off. I think. Yeah, I mean, the film isn't like it, when you compare it to something like The Babadook, which is you know debatable as to how much of it actually happens literally and how much of it is mental illness. This isn't a film like this. This is more straight down the middle. You know, everything happening here is literally happening. Um, despite the fact it alludes to that slightly at the start, um, but that isn't that, that isn't a problem. I mean, in particular, um, the use of miniatures uh, by the main character, Annie, played by Tony Collette, is particularly creepy. Yeah, it's a really key narrative element. Yeah. yeah, it just it just sets the stall for all of the scenes. Um I honestly think that this film absolutely lived up to its hype, although it does it no favours comparing it to the greatest horror film of all time. Mm. And I think I think it's hard to come away from this uh, not feeling it was a breath of fresh air despite the fact it's not a reinvention. I think it's more to do with the use of Masterable techniques rather than you know straight shock. Yeah, and like you said, it's part of a kind of a reemergence of intelligent horror in the past few years. Along with the Babadook, it follows and a few other films. Yeah, yeah. Th- this this one absolutely chilled me to my bone. D- did you see this one, Clive? Um, no. Again, it's another one I really want to watch, so I will get around to it, but I haven't Go. yet. Mainly because I can't get people to go with me because they're too scared. So I'll just watch it on my own. Oh, that's you're a brave man. Um, <laughs> le- legitimately, like it doesn't. I, I'm not easily scared, but like you, you will feel like a sh- I'd be surprised at least if you don't feel a shudder. Um, you need no distractions with this one, though. You need to be in a dark room. <laughs> Keep your phone on mute or whatever. No looking okay. at it. Um, you don't want anything <laughs> to take you away from the atmosphere. Put it that way, because I yeah, could imagine right, sure. in a home media scenario where you've got loads of things that could distract you. And really, make sure you've gone to the toilet. Yeah, make sure you've gone to the toilet first as well. You don't want to have to pause it midway through, go to the toilet. I know it's always tempting when you're at home, but this one is all about the timing, the build-up, and that's part of the filmmaking process. Uh, Honestly, Mm -hmm. I spoil so many movies for myself when I'm at home by just the fact of, oh, I need the toilet a bit. Pause. Oh, I'll go and get a snack. But, no, it's impossible to... Well, not impossible, but it's difficult to replicate the same sort of emergence in a, in a film. Immersion, yeah, it is, immersion yeah. in yeah. a film or, you, you uh, think, as the cinema. Yeah, even when you've got your phone on silent, you know, you feel a rumble in your pocket. Ooh, that'll be a message. Let's pause it, see what it says. <laughs> yeah. uh, it does spoil it, and I'm, I'm trying to put my, take myself out of it. This film, more than any other that I can think of recently, is perfect for not doing that. You need to have this as close to cinema as you can because um, it is massively timed. The the, nar- the narrative is just great. I mean, uh, funnily enough, one person who wasn't that massive a fan on it, of it, uh, who's a horror connoisseur, was Mark Commode. Though I suspect he okay. had his back up, though, because of the the comparisons to The Exorcist. Which is his favourite film. Yeah, it? exactly. Oh, okay, um, right. So I, I think that this will be a film he he's famous for reassessing things quite often and radically changing his mind. I suspect, given maybe five years or something, I think he'll like this a lot more because I think it's a classic. Yeah. Right. um, Okay, well, it's on to me now uh, for my second one. Um, This is going to be kind of a two-part review. I'm going to be mainly reviewing one film, uh, but I'm going to be using another film as an example of why this film is so good. So... (laughs) 
you know, cats out the bag right away. I love this film. It's the latest in the Mission Impossible series. Yeah. Fallout. Uh, directed by Christopher McQuarrie, uh, Christopher McQuarrie, who also directed the previous film, Rogue Nation. Obviously stars Tom Cruise, uh, favourites from the series like Ving Rams, Simon Pegg, Rebecca Ferguson, Sean Harris, Michelle Monaghan and Alec Baldwin. Also brings in um, Henry Cavill for a new role in this. Famously, Henry Cavill with a moustache. And that's <laughs> going to come back later on in the conversation. Um Essentially, you do not need to have seen any of the other films in the Mission Impossible series to have watched this. I would actually advise that you do, because they're all a lot of good fun. I don't actually think they've made a bad movie yet, uh, although I think this is probably the strongest since the first one. Ethan Hawke, who is the main character played by Tom Cruise. Not Hunt. Oh, sorry. Ethan, I, said Ethan <laughs> I was going to say yeah. Ethan Hawke's yeah. an actor, mate. E- Ethan Hunt, sorry. Uh, good correction there, Michael. Ethan Hawke <laughs> is not in this film. <laughs> oh, he would have been good. He would have, yeah. Um, I mean, he's good in everything, but... Yeah. <laughs> uh, Ethan Hunt is battling a terrorist group known as the Syndicate who want, essentially, to bring the world to its knees uh, by attacking certain religious sites to create a new world order. The plot, honestly, isn't despite the fact this is an excellent film, isn't all that important. And that's not to say this is a dumb action film, but you'll see what I mean if you watch it. Um, essentially, they lose track of some Plutonian cores and spend the rest of the film trying to get them back. To say that this film is death-defying in terms of its stunt work is selling it absolutely short. I don't think I've ever seen a more visually pleasurable film than this film. Tom Cruise just running into shit literally breaking his ankle in a shot that they used for the film, <laughs> hanging off helicopters, riding motorbikes through busy streets. You can tell that this is a film almost made from a different era, in an era where stunts had to be done physically. Mm-hmm. You can absolutely tell the physicality of this film, and the action work is directed masterfully. This film is just flat-out fun from beginning to end. The performances are good, but there's, without being outstanding, but they don't almost need to be. The plot makes sense... And has payoffs aplenty, um, without being you know that inclusive to the plot. There's nothing. There's uh, sorry to so the rest of the film. There's nothing particularly groundbreaking in that respect. But this is just absolutely balls to the walls. Great summer blockbuster fun. It reminds me of kind of the best of Bond when Bond isn't taking itself too seriously. Th- this film is. I mean, there's a moment in it which I think is in the trailer as well, which is a great little gag where. Steve Simon Pegg is tracking Ethan Hunt as he's running through this absolutely brilliant on-foot chase over rooftops, through buildings. And he suddenly comes to a pause and he says, what are you waiting for? And he goes, I'm jumping out of a window. And then it's just—it's kind of like the absurdity of the fact that, you know, he's, <laughs> yeah, yes, it's he's going to have to jump 30 foot out of a window. Of course he's going to pause for a minute. Um, <laughs> Henry Cavill plays his um, kind of counterpart who's been brought in by the CIA to kind of keep check on him. He's kind of a, just a big bruising brute, and he has he has a moustache in this. Now, the, the reason this moustache is particularly newsworthy is um, Henry Cavill <laughs> had to go back in for reshoots of another film he's in, uh, where he plays Superman, <laughs> Justice League. Uh, unfortunately, he, for, for Justice League's producers, he was contractually obliged to keep the moustache which meant that when he had to go in for reshoots of Justice League, they had to digitally take out his moustache, um, <laughs> leaving to an absolutely ridiculous, what looks like clay face um, in Justice League. And that's, incidentally <laughs> enough, that's the movie I'm going to talk about now. 
Um, so, while Mission Impossible Fallout is a great example of a summer blockbuster which doesn't take itself too seriously, heavy on action, which is superbly done, Justice League is a big steaming pile of horseshit. Um, this is not a film from this year, it's 2017, but I watched it recently because it turned up on uh, Sky Cinema for free, uh, so I thought I'll give it a go. And Jesus Christ, this is dreadful. Uh, this this actually makes uh, Batman vs. Superman look like Citizen Kane, and you know how much I hated that one. Um, I mean, directed again by Zack Snyder, starring a huge cast, Ben Affleck, Kemi Cavill, Gal Gadot, Ezra Miller, Jason Momoa, uh, someone called Ray Fisher, don't know who he is, uh, Jeremy Irons, J.K. Cinnamons, and a lot of other people. It's basically um, DC's attempt to kind of match the Marvel mashups, and it's fucking woeful. Um, it also stars Kieran Hines as a bad guy, but I don't know for for a minute know why they put Kieran Hines in it because he only does the voice, but it's put through such treatment that you can't tell it's Kieran Hines. You could have literally got me to do the voice; it would have been absolutely fine. <laughs> and the, the bad guy has no no setup whatsoever. He just wants to get these power cubes so he can be powerful. I mean, it's just like it's. It's like there is no, you know, there's no great um, motivation. There's no, he was never wronged by anybody. You know, the best bad guys are the, you know, the bad guys where you can see their point, even if you think what they're doing is evil. There is no point to this. He's just evil. You know, he's not even an anarchist like the Joker. You know, he's just a fucking big guy with a hammer. <laughs> the, way, the way you described it to me when you saw it was even better. You're just like, oh, the bad guy wants the power. Why do you want the power? Because I'm bad. <laughs> Basically that, yeah. Um, I mean, Jason Momoa is, I mean, like, I love him in Game of Thrones. He's great as Carl Drogo. But really, he looks shit in this. I mean, Aquaman, for a start, I mean, what the fuck is Aquaman? <laughs> Fucking a mermaid with a spear. Um, but he's really bad in this. There's a scene uh, where he's in Iceland. I believe it's Iceland. It might even be Finland. One of the one of the Scandinavian countries. And he talks in the native language. And apparently when they showed it in Iceland, they had to subtitle it because his Icelandic is so bad. Uh, Apparently they're rolling on the floors in the cinemas. (laughs) You would have thought that they could have just done a little bit more research. You know, he only has about three lines. You know, he could have got it right for that. Uh, I mean, it's just so humorless, this film, and so packed with CGI. Not to mention, you know, Superman's clay face. Um, funnily enough a Batman villain but uh, makes no appearance um, uh, it's just, it's just the plot makes no sense it's hackneyed it's ripped off from everywhere else it's totally unenjoyable from minute one to last minute um, the, I've rarely seen such a colossal fuck up of a film um, since Batman vs Superman incidentally enough um, oh dear the the only point in this where I thought, okay, that's well cast, is Ezra Miller as The Flash, who is vaguely entertaining but feels just like a diet Spider-Man. Um, like, some people in, in online in particular have taken to defending films like that, saying that there's some sort of pro-Marvel um, you know, bias. There's, they've been paid off the media. No, they haven't. It's just because DC have got this woefully wrong when they've tried to copy a formula. They should have just gone their own way, made all of the films separate, Kept it kind of the the Nolan kind of the, the Nolan style that was set up for them really, and instead they've got this absolute mess um, where the only film in their entire series that was half decent was Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just 
I hated this film. Um, I can't describe how bad it is. I would have turned it off, but for the fact that I was almost... It, at least it wasn't it wasn't boring in the sense that I was thinking, well, that's bad, that's worse, uh, that's bad, that's worse. Um, so it you know it kept me gripped, if you like, just to see how much they could fuck up next. Um, I, I'm like of all, of all the kind of superhero fatigue, this is superhero fatigue. The movie, you know, all of the worst elements, you know basic power cubes, which, to be fair, Marvel are are guilty of as well. Uh, Mashups that don't make sense. Bad casting, where people don't look like they are enjoying being there at all. Rewrites that don't make the film any funnier. So you've got this weird tone in the film, by the way, sorry, I'm going on here, where it's suddenly dark, and then they remade it halfway through to add in scenes to make it lighter to try and copy Marvel. So you've got these scenes where Batman cracks wise at one point, and the next scene where he's just been all glowering and Batman like, it's fucking shit. It's just... uh, um, yeah, so Mission Impossible <laughs> is a perfect fallout. It's a perfect example of exactly how you do a summer blockbuster that is high on action, uh, but not totally brainless. Uh, this is an example of a film that is totally brainless and high on shit action <laughs> that looks like a bad computer game made on the N64. <laughs> well, Which is, I mean, I'm sorry to associate the N64 with that. Yeah, please. PlayStation, any kind yeah, of... Okay. Do you, know, do you know what I love the rant but the the thing, the funny thing is that all I needed to know about the film was that there was a digitally removed moustache to know it was shite <laughs> <laughs> I mean, why couldn't Superman have just had a moustache yeah why not like his super stash he wouldn't be able to use a razor on that would he <laughs> wow this sounds interestingly bad yeah, I'm not. Well, I've, just, not well, I've not seen Batman v Superman or this, so don't just well, don't. don't plan to. <laughs> <laughs> uh. I mean, um, like I really just wanted to do a positive review of Mission Impossible Fallout, but then I thought when it has the mustache link up, I just thought this is <laughs> yeah, a great I mean, time to really put the boot in. Put the boot into what is one of the worst films I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I've seen Mission Impossible Fallout. I pretty much agree with you. I thought it was really, really, really good. It's like I think it's one of the best, just like straight up action films I've ever seen, and it is oh, kind it of just is, yeah. there is a, some comedy elements, I suppose, but it's I think it plays on that less than a lot of action films do, um, but it's just yeah, the action scenes itself themselves are just so visceral and yeah, that was really 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 good. Which Tom Cruise, at whatever, how old is he? Impressive, uh, like fifty odd now, I think. Um, yeah, impressive that he's able to do this. <laughs> well, he's just like um, you can't like he does all of his own stunts or nearly all of them and um, that, that's just kind of impressive I mean say what you will about the guy you know raving sofa jumping Scientologist that he is oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. you know <laughs> he, he does a good stunt and he looks good running yeah which is <laughs> which he must have contractually built into any contract um, I mean <laughs> well I would if I could run that cool yeah he, he's just excellent in this um, and you know the the action is just like there's a bit where they I forget what they call it now I think it's called base jumping where they jump out of a no halo jumping sorry they jump out of a plane and uh, they're parachuting down now you could have easily filmed that on green screen and you'd have forgiven them yeah but that that was actually filmed for real though yeah someone like carried a full on IMAX camera didn't they while <laughs> dropping out from the plane or something yeah I mean that, that's, that's just impressive heard. filmmaking <clears throat> I mean um, yeah <laughs> but you, you can tell though the end results are that you get a better action film 
It's sad to say, mm-hmm. but the more dangerous it is for the for the performers, the better it is for the viewers because you can tell the you know it's kind of muscular. It's it's uh, it has a physicality to it, which yeah. CGI, no matter how good it gets, just hasn't caught up with yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I think you, I know you're probably not going to go out your way to see this, Michael, but I think if you saw this, you'd probably well, really enjoy it. I mean, you say that, but like, um, I think they're rare, but like great action films are a going concern of mine. So you've you've sold it there to me. Oh, yeah, you, you'd have a lot invested. of fun. And like, don't get me wrong, you're not going to come away from the thinking that was an amazing plot or whatever, because it's not. It's fairly standard, but it's just really well thought out, really well structured, and like the action scenes are stunning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just like with action, you have to sift through so much shit to find the diamonds. I think. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is just—I think it's—it's it's a, it's a small word, three-letter word, but this is just fun. You know, I just had a blast watching it. It was just. Um, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, cool. Right. Okay. Well, um, we're back to Sheffield now. Uh, Clive, I believe you've got another indie to talk about. Oh yeah! Not only an indie, I've got a foreign language indie because I'm a you know, oh, cultured, cultured man. Double. Um, so double, does double. this does this imp- improve my culture score yet further? I mean, you, you were already Swiss, so you're already naturally you've got one up on us. Um, <laughs> I know you've added it. <laughs> this is the kind of thing that's probably going to get me kicked out, isn't it? Yeah, you, too much culture in the future. Uh, yeah. Future right wing government. Have you ever watched a foreign film? Yes. Right, get out. Get out. Yeah. <laughs> we, your, we don't want your yeah. kind in here. <laughs> we were coming twat. to Switzerland with you, Clive. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get you in. <laughs> so I'm going to review Summer 1993, which um, came out this year. It's a film directed by Carlos Simon, I believe you pronounce it, and stars Laia Artigas, Paula Robles, Bruna Cousy, the C full, full cast and crew button has uh, declined to <laughs> show me the rest, um, David Verdagua. Um, Laia and Paula are the, the two kids in the film, and Bruna and David play the, the parents. It's a Spanish-language drama. It tells the autobiographical story of um, the director, Carla Simon, who lost both her parents to HIV. And I believe there was a bit of a sort of HIV crisis in Spain in the, I've not researched the time scale, but I believe late 70s for quite a long time. The film starts with Frida, who is the the fictionalised version of um, the director, watching on as her home in uh, Barcelona gets kind of emptied um, before she's taken out to live with her aunt, uncle and cousin out in the... Catalan countryside um, it's just the, the film starts basically just after her mother has died so I think her father died of HIV quite a few years before but um, the film starts just after her mother has died and they basically just move move in with um, like I say her, her aunt's family and it's it's a stunning 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 film it's my favourite film of the year so far and I'll go uh, <laughs> I'll try my best to explain why um, the performances are spectacular the two girls the, the two young girls so we've got um, the, the uh, playing Frida the girl who's lost her parents and then he, she kind of adopts her sister I suppose who is actually her cousin but because she's now living with her it's more of a sister relationship those two girls are absolutely fantastic most of the film is just following them around um, yeah so Laia Artigas plays Frida and she the, a lot of the film is spent with the camera right up in her face and this is the second time I'm going to mention Handmaid's Tale and uh, you would not expect it in this context but I think there are some similarities in the perform- on the performance front in uh, Handmaid's Tale the lead actress Al hit me up uh, Elizabeth Moss. Yes, that's the one. Um, she spends a lot of time with the camera in her face and is able to portray a whole wealth of emotions just with, like you've mentioned, uh, her facial expressions and, and just her eyes, um, to be honest. 
Um, this is obviously not as... The, the situation is not as uh, dystopian or anything like that, and this is a child performer. But she spent there's so much time with the camera right in her face, and you can see this. And I was just absolutely blown away by the fact she could portray this kind of putting a brave face on the fact that her parents have died. She's kind of almost too young to really comprehend what this means, um, and yet there's some sadness under there. Do you know what I mean? It's like it's a pretty complicated thing to portray, <laughs> and you just completely buy it and I was just completely blown away by her performance I thought it was absolutely fantastic and I raved on about um, the performances in the Florida Project which um, are I think some of the best child performances I've ever seen I think the ones in this film are absolutely up there and I'd say the one by Artigas is more complex and in a way I suppose more impressive I was just yeah I thought it was absolutely fantastic um, the cinematography is it's kind of I think this film is what I'd call a hyper-real film, really. Um, it has some... There's music, but it's all... I always get them the wrong bloody way around. I think it's diegetic when it's actually in the... As opposed to... It's not over the top of the film, it's in the scene. Like, it's Dad playing some music or whatever. Um, so there is so, yeah. that type of... Yeah, there's that type of music in the film. But there's never any music over the top of it, um, which gives it that kind of hyper-real film uh, feel. The camera work is at times feels a bit like a handicap even though the, the camera is clearly a good camera uh, when it's kind of following the kids around at their kind of level which is something that again they did in the florida project really well they don't you know follow them around at adult level they kind of get down to their level and you kind of feel that you're among them and i thought those bits were really really good the the house that they're staying in is absolutely stunning they're in kind of this picturesque countryside all that works really well it's a really really nuanced film there's never any massive dramatic events in particular the, the most dramatic event really is has already happened when the film starts but it's that it's not really about that it's about how small events and small things kind of build up and how people um how you kind of get to see what's actually what their feelings are underneath the brave face they're kind of putting on the situation and it is a terrible situation how their kind of feelings underneath come forward with you know sort of minor events bring them up or lots of little events kind of makes things boil over a little bit um so it's not a plot heavy film but it's just it's like it's not one of those films that's got this kind of like oh here's a step-by-step way to to resolve this problem um because there isn't really a way to resolve the problem it just shows the effect um that this uh, such a trauma can have on a child and her extended family and um over like the summer of when this happens um and it's just perfectly conveyed in this what i think is a masterpiece i think it's really really good and Certainly one of my favourite foreign language films. I, I was blown away by it. But it's it's one of those films that is so subtle that I think a lot of people would just be like, oh, well, that was a bit boring. <laughs> but I think yeah. it, it's, its mastery is in its subtlety. Um, it, like, it's hyper-real to the extent, like, you could imagine that this has actually happened and it's like a documentary, but without someone talking over the top of it or interviewing anyone, do you know what I mean? Like a fly on the wall of this actually happening and it's kind of like just and i think the fact that it is directed by someone who's had this happen to them i've read some interviews and she like said that she obviously the kids were too young to actually memorize the lines all the way through so she would kind of tell them what to say i want you to you know do this in the scene say this um, and she a, a lot of it is obviously on her direction which does not take away from uh, artigas's performance which like i've said is absolutely brilliant um but it's just she clearly knows the feelings that that she had when she went through this and that's why she's able to portray that so well in the film and yeah it's not just a, a stunning study of uh, what it's like as a child to have this happen to you but also you know the the fact that the parents having to take in their <clears throat> their niece essentially as a, as a daughter and having to like 
you know, show her the same amount of love as they do their, their own child and all those kind of complexities that come into it. Yeah, I thought it was absolutely brilliant. I loved it. I, I do, as you know, I have a soft spot for coming of age films with kids in. <laughs> this is this is a great one of those, even though it's not. It is. It's just like a slice of life film. It doesn't. You know, she doesn't really grow up in the film as such. It is just like, as the name suggests, it's just over the summer of 1993. Um, yeah, it really, really is excellent. Everyone should go out and see it. No, that sounds good. Um, I, I, I didn't, I don't really know much about this. I saw it got a good review in The Guardian. Well, I didn't actually read the review. Um, I don't know why I didn't, but um, um, yeah, that sounds really Yeah, I think really that's good. how I'd heard of it. Yeah. I, lo- I love the term you use there, slice of life. That's... Um, that does fit for those kind of films. Now, it has nothing to do with, really, with what you've said there, but there was a film called Kings of Summer that I saw... Um, oh, I love that film. <laughs> yeah, which is such a good film. Again, it's kind of just over one summer, um, which, again, I'm a sucker for the yeah. coming-of-age film as well. When done right, it um, can be pretty epic. And I'm pretty certain you haven't seen this, Michael, but what's your favourite coming-of-age film off the top of your head? Oh, I don't know. Coming-of-age... I think I have to have a think. I think mine off the. T- I mean, it could, I could easily say Boyhood, which is one of my favorite films of the last year. Oh years. yeah, yeah. Um, another contender, though, a big fan of Dazed and Confused, uh, which is more of a comedic okay. take on it. But I was a big fan of that. Hmm. I think Boyhood would have to be mine. That's one of my favorite films ever. Yeah, if I think not it, pro- my it probably is mine. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, the, the, there's a wealth in this genre, though. Um, I mean, Stand by Me. That's the oh yeah, great film. Another coming coming of age film. If anything, I would say the hit rate in this genre is massively high. Um, although maybe we're just not seeing the crap ones, but um, yeah, yeah. No, I wouldn't say um, it's, it's probably. A, 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 it's probably a genre that. Um, sorry, Michael. It's probably a genre that a lot of people have a strong feeling towards because I suppose everyone goes through it, and mm-hmm. so maybe that's why we're able to write good films about it. I don't know. <laughs> I wouldn't say it's not one of my favourites or anything, but it just jumped into my head. It was kind of one last year, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Well, it is. It is a coming of age film. Yeah, I would say so. Um, thankfully, it didn't have the coming age part of the novel where they just have a big gangbang in a cave. But you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad uh, they missed that out. Fair point. Yeah. I mean, that, that's coming. That's coming of age. Oh, coming of age. Jesus! Oh, he's, he's, he's gone, gone there. there. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Oh dear! Yeah, oh dear. but but no, uh, this this sounds really good, Clive. Um, I said I'm always interested. The, in films this, like, I can see this being the, the the one at the end of the year where no one else has seen it, and I'm you know crying, like the Florida project. wanting to get it into the top five. Yeah, which, <laughs> which by the way, the, the Florida project it just keeps getting more hype. I haven't seen it yet, but I keep seeing it being mentioned more and more. So I think it's finally getting that love you wanted it to get, Clive. Yeah, yeah good. I know it's on. Uh, Amazon Prime or something. It's one one of the streaming things for free at the minute, I think, or it was. I don't know if it still is, but um, yeah, I think it's, it has. The, the hype has built, gradually built and built. And yeah. it's up, I know when I'd seen it, I don't. I I, th- I thought more people had heard of it than actually had. <laughs> but I suppose that's how you feel when you watch something. Uh, if yeah. if you, it's a big deal to you, you think like, oh well, everyone else will have seen it. Uh, yeah, you do. Yeah, it. yeah, sure. <laughs> Right, excellent. Um, I'm going to very, unless anyone has anything else to talk about, I'm going to just quickly mention the other films I've seen since we last did this part. I'm not going to do any full reviews. I've got a couple after that. Okay, cool. Go for it. I'll tell you what, it was your turn, Michael, in the order. Why don't you go first while I find this list? Right then. Well, um, well, we mentioned The Florida Project, so another one that was in our top five last year that I've just seen was The Death of Stalin. Um, Thought this was... uh, yeah, this is really good, as I expected from Armando Iannucci anyway. Made me laugh out loud many times. The whole thing is a pretty riotous farce. 
Um, some of the acting is brilliant. Steve Buscemi's uh, really good in it. What's the name of the actor who plays Barrera in it? Uh, Simon Russell Beale. Yeah, uh, he's very good. Uh, but I mean, the, the real show stealer is Jason Isaacs as Field Marshal Zukov. Uh, he's not in the film for that long, but when he is in, it's a complete whirlwind. Uh, absolutely <laughs> hilarious. And obviously, as we've discussed at the time, the decision to uh, do the film with British accents, well, not just British, but uh, non-Russian accents, is is the perfect decision. Uh, And yeah, it's a really good film. Uh, And the other one that I've seen um, not long ago, I was gifted a couple of films from 1988 for my birthday, it being my, uh, my birth year, one of which was Rain Man, which I watched. I was surprised, actually, that this... I mean, I think the Oscars has changed quite a lot, but... This basically had a clean sweep. I believe it won Best Picture, Best Director, Best Screenplay, and uh, Dustin Hoffman won Best Leading Actor, mm. uh, which is quite a you know, a shower of trophies there. Um, I thought it was more iconic than um, brilliant or anything, but uh, great acting. Uh, we've already talked about Tom Cruise today. He's uh, really good in it, although he, I think he gets overshadowed a bit by Hoffman's performance. Mm-hmm. Um, some of it's very funny. There's a particular scene in the car where... Um, uh, when Cruz's character is still uh, very irritated with uh, his brother Hoffman's character, and uh, his character is Hoffman is just repeating the name of a radio station that he's just heard over and over again. Uh, that was a standout scene. I thought very funny, uh, but obviously, obviously the card counting scenes in Las Vegas are the most uh, are the most famous from the film. So yeah, yeah, I think more of an important film than a great one for me, but I did enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's also the film, It's for a lot of people, when I worked with children with disabilities and said what my job was, <laughs> this was like their only reference point to anyone <laughs> with disabilities, which which was kind <laughs> yeah. of sad, because everyone just assumed, oh, so they're, so they're really good at some stuff, but not... <laughs> It's like that, <laughs> yeah, that's it's... not that's not really how disabilities. Yeah, with some with some with some of them, yes, uh, but that's not always the case. Um, maybe mm-hmm. you know, just go beyond one. Not saying it's. I think it's an accurate portrayal of someone with autism who this is uh, happened to, or who has that right. particular math skill. And I, I've looked after people who are similar in terms of their math skills. Um, I had one who could tell you any day, like if you said you could basically say something. Um, you know, when did? Abraham Lincoln die, and he'd be able to tell you uh, what day of the week it was, um, as well as wow. the actual date. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. So, so it, it, it exists for sure, but it's not, um, you know, the, the sole. There are many more mental illnesses, um, which I think is getting much better now. To be fair, I think people are becoming much uh, wiser to it. But and I don't think it's necessarily people's fault. I think it's society's fault. For uh, I think the society has had a thing of like, all oh, these people must be locked away and not seen. Um, and I think that's starting to change, which is good. Yeah, apparently well, about- from what I was from what I was reading, it seems like some practitioners have practitioners have been split about whether this is like an accurate portrayal of autism or not. But I guess it just depends on your experience of people with autism it's hard to say what's an accurate portrayal because it's not a simple yeah like, oh someone with autism will do this which is what a lot of people seem to think it's there's, there's a lot, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's a lot there's a lot more nuance to, to it than that just a quick word about the uh, the scar of red man which from what i was reading online people apparently hate uh, it's by Hans zimmer uh, it's pain it's a painfully 80s scar from what i could hear but uh in a way i think maybe it was because i was given the film specifically because it came out in 88 but i kind of liked that it was like ridiculously 80s music but yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's weird isn't it i think 80s music has um aged well in like sort of nonsensical action films like beverly hills uh, cop yeah, or, or like sci-fi that, yeah. things like blade runner but um yeah, but not sure, so well yeah. in something that's taken needs to be taken a bit more seriously i guess because 80s music has almost become a bit of a 
I don't know. A relic. Like a bit of a joke. Yeah. As, yeah, a bit. yeah. <laughs> as a bit of a thing yeah. to laugh at, I suppose. I don't know. More so than other decades, I think, yeah. 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 Interesting. I think, I think it's the, the least, it's the decade that's taken the least seriously. Probably, yeah. yeah. Anyway, my little roundup, very short this will be, uh, despite the fact I'm going to discuss a few films. Um, I saw Sicario 2, Soldado, which translates as Hitman 2, Soldier, which is a bit nonsensical <laughs> as, a, as a title. Um <laughs> First Sicario, directed by Denis Villeneuve, was superb. Brilliant pronunciation. Um, this is... It's okay. It's all right. You know what? I kind of went into this thinking it was maybe going to be terrible. I actually did see a five-star review by a reviewer I really respect, and I don't know where they got that from. Who um, was it? Peter Bradshaw on The Guardian, um, oh. interestingly enough. Generally, I'm in tune. It's, it's, a, it's a solid action flick, is in the sense that the action is punchy, and it's definitely um, very violent to the point where you actually get an impact of any deaths. And it's definitely watchable. Um, but often, I would say, it's missing Emily Blunt. There isn't. It's a kind of hyper-macho mm. film, and it kind of delves slightly into, I would say, potentially right-wing politics. Maybe not even intentionally. Uh, certainly, in the context of a Trump-era America, that's, what, that's how it appeared to me anyway. It's not a bad film. Uh, if you like the first one, you could do a lot worse. It's definitely watchable. Um, but it was ultimately disappointing and it definitely missed that kind of... Because e- e- Emily Blunt in the first film is our point of entry. Even though she is an FBI agent, she's not in this dark world of you know dark ops. Uh, she is a human being with real empathy mm-hmm. and you know a, a much-needed touch of femininity as well, um, you know, without being a caricature of a woman. Uh, but it's definitely... It's missing in this, this film, which is kind of just hyper-macho, really. I've also seen Skyscraper, uh, the latest uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson <laughs> fair. Um, it's exactly what you think. It's kind of like a knockoff Die Hard uh, in China. It's not terrible. It was, again, pretty watchable, uh, kind of fun, because just because The Rock's in it, really. It's just like, you know, he's, just, he's an intensely likable person. And it was refreshingly non-dreadful, I would say, uh, for this kind of film. Just... You know, passable. I would say mm. this, is, despite the fact it, you know it's quite a visual film, I would describe this as uh, aeroplane film. So you know, like if you if it needed to pass a few hours, you know, you could do worse. But aside from that, there's not much to it really. I've also seen The Incredibles two. I believe you had quite a strong opinion on this, Clive. Um, did I have a strong opinion? Yeah, I, I mean, I liked it. Um, let me just see what I gave it here. I think I gave it like six point five. Um, yeah, okay. I thought it was fun, um, but I thought the kind of thing of like because Pixar usually has a strong message with their films and I think in this one it was like stay at home dads um, I think it was kind <laughs> of it was kind of you know on about you know stay at home dads can be good or whatever but I just felt like it kind of just <laughs> exasperated all the cliches of stay at home dads it was like oh he's not that great he loves his kids but he's a bit shit um, <laughs> doesn't really know what he's doing I think hopefully that things have modernised a bit beyond that now um, that if yeah. this did happen that dad would probably know what he's doing a little bit because I think Things are a little bit more shared now, and uh, so I didn't think it was really that took, did anything that refreshing on the concept. It just like showed, oh, here's all the cliches about what you thought stay-at-home dadding's like, uh, and you were right. <laughs> I don't know. Incredibles too. Yeah, uh, but absolutely bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> well, essentially, she gets kind of she has to go off and do superheroing, and he has to stay home. Um, all right, but it, it's you know it's good. It's you know. It's, uh, funny, the action scenes are fun. Um, it's your standard Pixar, really, really good. I just thought the the message part of it didn't really work. So, mm. still a lot of fun to be had. I just didn't 
particularly like that. I, thought, I think I think I enjoyed it a bit more than you. Then um, I didn't really take that point from it, but it's a fair one. Um, I thought it was. I thought it was very funny. One of the funnier. I mean, the Pixar films are generally funny, but I thought it was one of the funnier ones they'd done in a while. And I thought the the, the bad guy or the bad guys were quite inventive. And actually, for a kids' film, um, the screen slaver was quite intense. I thought. Particularly in one scene, I can imagine small children finding it very difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I enjoyed it anyway. It's not one of the the, the all time great Pixar films like something like Inside Out, uh, which is just you know genre mm-hmm. bending. Um, but I thought I thought it was fun. I think I enjoyed it a bit more than you. I gave it an eight anyway. Um, I thought it was I thought it was good without maybe having like you said a proper message like a Pixar film might do. And the other film I've seen is the latest Marvel for Ant Man and the Wasp which is pretty much a Ron Seal film. You know, if you go in expecting Ant-Man done again, but a bit different, that's exactly what you get. It's quite fun. It doesn't take itself very seriously. Um, Paul Rudd is well cast as usual. And, you know, in a way it fits into the same genre as Mission Impossible Fallout as in a, a kind of a summer blockbuster, which is entertaining, but it's nowhere near as well done as Mission Impossible Fallout. Um, mm-hmm. it's interesting that they chose to release this off the back of Infinity War which had obviously huge kind of swinging events for the entire universe this film is pretty much standalone and only has nods and allusions to that event really and it was kind of just a fun kind of caper heist movie without really doing anything that significant um, yeah. I mean the first Ant-Man was kind of a, just a little palate cleanser and that's exactly what this one felt like uh, I know you quite liked the first one didn't you Michael? Yeah, it's one of the best Marvel films I've seen. Mm. Uh, for some reason, though, not excited about seeing this one, but I bet I do at some point. You'd probably enjoy it. It's it's more or less the same standard as the first one, almost for a similar setup, but it's quite inventive. It's quite funny at times. It doesn't take itself too, too seriously. If you never see it, you know your life will go on perfectly fine. But um, <laughs> oh, that's good. Enough. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but you know, it's it, it's just a fun little caper film. Um, had you seen this one at all? In fact, had you even seen the first Ant Man, Clive? Um, yeah, I saw the first Ant Man. I like the first Ant Man, but I've not seen this one yet, just because I'm not that excited. I will probably go and yeah. see it at some point. I will see it when it comes to Blu-ray or whatever. Yeah, if I hadn't been invited to go and see it, I don't think I would have maybe not bothered at the cinema, or if I hadn't had my cinema card anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's fun, and certainly if you, it's not one of the the bad Marvel ones. I mean, they don't tend to make that many horrendous ones nowadays anyway. Uh, they're generally all six and six out of ten upwards, but. Um, yeah, this was like this is a solid fun caper. Is how I would describe it. Cool. Right. Do you have any other films you'd like to talk about, Clive? Um, I'll just whiz through the other ones that I saw, which is uh, one of which is Our Souls at Night, which is one on Netflix. Um, Robert Redford, who's just retired, and uh, Jane Fonda, who plays um, they play two neighbours who are basically living alone. Jane Fonda suggests that they start sleeping together. But platonically, um, just to you know, aid the loneliness of them being uh, <laughs> of sleeping alone and just being alone. Um, and it's a really, really, really good film. Totally recommend it. Um, I don't really want to say too much more than that. It's just like a sort of delicate drama film about these, you know, two creating a relationship. And um, you know, it has it's essentially about old age, family, and above all, companionship. I suppose um, it's on Netflix, so everyone can watch it nice and easily. Um, so I'd recommend that. That's one that I think it came out on Netflix last year, although I don't remember seeing it um, on there. Um, next up, Game Night, I saw uh, another film that came out this year. It was all right. It's kind of a fun... It's like 
essentially there's a game night, um, like a murder mystery, and then an actual kidnapping happens at the same time, um, leading to some fun frolics. Um, I think the jokes miss as much as they hit, and there's a couple of characters in there that are just annoying rather than funny. They're kind of like the sort of one-dimensional characters where it's like, this is the stupid character, uh, and you know, he doesn't really do anything except act stupid all the time. <laughs> so, but the, but there's some fun to be had. So you know, it's a good entertaining way to to waste a few hours, I suppose. Um, Incredible twos we've we've already spoken about, and lastly, I saw Unsane yesterday, um, which yeah. I loved the first half of, and the second half kind of went down some pretty tropey standard. Um, things yeah. which I don't really want to describe too much to, to spoil I it. I think but. that uh, that sounds exactly. I think I reviewed that for the pod. And it sounds like my review as well. I think I felt the same way from what I remember. Yeah, it's, it seemed like at the start it was going to have a lot to, of interesting things to say about like mental institutions and the way people get uh, put in them and you know the kind of. I mean, I used to work in one. You know, and I always felt that being in one of those would, uh, if I wasn't insane already, would make me go insane. Um, <laughs> So <clears throat> that's kind of a topic covered at the start of the film, I suppose, and how the way certain things you act in these places are seen as insane things when, to me, they're kind of a normal way to act if you're, if you're yeah, in that situation. I, I, um, I've always thought, sorry to interrupt, but I've always thought about that. Um, should, quite often when people are at a new workplace, they will almost, you know, people like to fit in where they where they are. So they'll take yeah. on almost new, even even short-term behaviours, maybe that they don't translate anywhere else. Mm-hmm. So surely if you were in a mental... Say, say you were mentally ill but not as mentally ill as some people, surely you're going to take on almost behavioural you know, decisions of other people as well. Surely it's not a an environment that's con- conducive to better mental health. No, you, I mean... Un- unless, perhaps, un- unless perhaps there's no chance of you getting men- uh, mentally well and you're a danger to other people or something but it just doesn't seem logical to me. Yeah, it's definitely a, a pretty... It's like a, a minefield, essentially, yeah. There's, there is that... And a lot of the people I had in the ward were people who were de- dangerous to other people, and that's where they were there. But it was totally not... A, I think, to be honest, it was a lot to do with it being privatised. Like, since they'd been privatised, they were just making stupid decisions constantly and cutting costs yeah. and not really giving a shit about the people living there and making... And yeah, and then being surprised when they when they kicked off, and I I was always pretty empathetic familiar. towards yeah mm. um, yeah one flew over the cuckoo <laughs> or just general um, general society, but um, this That's is kind I of locked do. away and, yeah. yeah locked away and no one knows about it and no one even knew that this mental hospital existed really and I knew a few people who pretty, who lived pretty close to it um, but yeah it's just it's like what's the best way to deal with it I don't know but this definitely isn't it. <laughs> Yeah, um, I think for some for some for some of the people on the lower secure wards who I spoke to who had like mental health issues and were a danger to themselves as opposed to other people. I spoke to a few of them who it seemed to work for, and and you know they they said that whatever being there had helped them and they didn't have to worry about you know getting jobs and that kind of stuff and they could worry about getting themselves better. Um, but other people I've seen turn the other way, coming on a low secure ward and then um, you know end up just going a bit crazy and ending up on a medium secure ward which is where generally people who are danger to other people are but they've only really become a danger to other people since they've been in a institution so it's like do you yeah. <laughs> does that mean they're a danger to people outside it's probably just in this environment <laughs> um well, yeah. reminds me of the quote from the shawshank redemption where it says uh he says it took me coming to <laughs> to prison to become a criminal um yeah yeah <laughs> for sure exactly um, so yeah, it's it, it's a bit of a shame that it doesn't 
um, tackle those things a bit more interestingly. Um, even though I still think the the second part is well executed, I just think it's not not as interesting. If you know what I mean. <laughs> mm. Agreed. So, yeah. Agreed. A bit disappointed overall, but yeah, that's that's all I've got to talk about. I think. Cool. Uh, right. Okay. Well, it's that time of the podcast where many moons ago, when we still have some creative juices bubbling, uh, we'd have made a joke <laughs> about now. Um, which, frankly, got old maybe the second time we did it, but we persisted. Probably, but then it kind of went like, full circle and became uh, good. Yeah, yeah, like, well, kind of like a a sexual deviant just pushing rope, you know, just hoping, come on, it's going to happen, it's going to happen, it's not going to happen. <laughs> um, I, thought, I've got, I think we could refresh it. I've got an idea. Oh, yeah. we, can't, we, can't do it. we can't do it now because it's not planned. It's not planned. Okay. Right, okay. But next time okay. I'll hit you with it. Wow. Okay. I'm, I'm or we forward. could, for the sake of the audience, we could have a dramatic cut right here, <laughs> followed by us talking, which isn't in, and then we do it. Let's do that. No, Let's we, show the strings. We can't. We can't. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> whatever, whatever this is, it it's clearly needs a bit actual complex. preparation. Oh, okay. No worries. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> anyway, right. Clive, go for it. Plug time! Get in contact with the show, stickaroundpodcast at gmail.com, stickaroundpodcast.com, slash contact for a form. If you'd rather do that, than fill out emails. Stickaroundpodcast.com slash, no, slash nothing, just go.com. Um, there's articles on there. You press on latest articles, they come up. Um, all those films I've talked about, I've written a review about. So you, you, can, you can read those as well as reviews about some other things. At Stickaroundcast on Twitter, we you post on there when there's a new episode up and things like that when we're recording, all that jazz. Slash Stickaround Podcast on Facebook for a regurgitated version of that. Stickaround Podcast on Instagram for, you know, pictures of microphones, if that's your thing, and the odd picture of us. Justgiving.com slash fundraising slash Stickaround if you want to give some money in our name to Shelter, which is the, the charity we're supporting. That would be awesome and much appreciated by us as well as um, people who need the help. And um, that is it, I think. Oh, iTunes, give us five-star reviews, please, because people or listen if you do if that. Or you hate it. Yeah. Love None it or hate it. Fucking bullshit twos. No two, threes, uh, or fours. Absolute shy. Yeah. Don't sit on the fence. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Um, right, I think we're back next time. Probably time for games again, isn't it, Clive? Oh, yeah. It is time for games. Yeah, I think we've got a couple to talk about, so excited. Excellent. Maybe a return of James Flux. Yes, I hope so. Uh, love that little guy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've, missed, I've missed James Flux. Yeah, I love that guy. Just the little bit was unnecessary. <laughs> right, um, well, uh, thank you very much for listening. Um, Clive Fisher, thank you for coming. Thank you for listening and thank you for having me, Al. Thanks uh, for the eagle sound hosting. effects, as yeah. always. Well, uh, Michael, thanks for hosting me this time. First time two people have recorded from the home of the Eagles. Oh, yeah. Uh, no problem thank you thanks to myself I've been excellent uh, come back next time <laughs> for games <laughs> see you so. later I remember to stick around stick around, around. <laughs> stick around thank you all for listening Rest assured that you have found The best podcast in the universe It's Stick Around